We're launching this podcast to give you updated headlines and stories as we have them from across the Southeast in this critical time. Hopefully, this will be helpful to you and your family. I'm Rory O'Neill. When Hurricane Dorian stalled over the Bahamas for two days, it just pounded the area with wind gusts over 200 miles an hour and feet of rain. And after skirting the Florida coast and clipping the Carolinas, the storm is on the move. Now moving over 20 miles an hour away from the U.S. toward Canada and finally just falling apart. But as Dorian moves away, we're getting a better look at what's been left behind in the Bahamas. There's no words to describe the experience. Um, I know from my area that I live in, Gatlin Point, everybody lost everything. Slept in the ceiling for two days. Got eight feet of water in my house. And right now I'm heading into the city of Freeport for refuge. So keep us in prayer of your Bahamas strong. Everybody's like in a state of shock right now. We lost everything. So right now we're just like in survival mode right now. One guy has more experience cleaning up after a hurricane than any other, Craig Fugate. He used to run emergency management for the state of Florida. That was during the busy hurricane seasons of 2004 and 2005. 05 was the year they ran out of letters at the National Hurricane Center. So after working in Tallahassee, he was tapped by President Obama to be his FEMA director. And there were plenty of disasters on his watch then, too. But Fugate, a former firefighter, is a tough love kind of a guy. He'll tell it to you straight, and he won't sugarcoat it. People think you're going to get everything done. It's a disaster, folks. Right now, we're just trying to keep them alive. They're not happy because they don't have ice. Good. If they're not happy, they're breathing, they have an airway, they're communicating, and they're alive. I've accomplished my primary goal. That's from a speech that Fugate gave to Verizon workers, but he's been in the field plenty too, in situations like Hurricane Maria when the death toll kept climbing, reaching about 3,000, according to some reports. And I think that's the thing you have to focus on is what are we counting? Uh, if you look at just direct impacts in Florida, we had fewer people killed by the storms than we did have dying after the storm. When you look at what happened in Maria, you look at the disruption of infrastructure, people cut off, running out of critical supplies, running out of critical medical equipment, not being able to get access to medical equipment and proper treatments, that death toll makes sense. It's how we count, and I think the semantics doesn't really do justice to the lives lost. And more importantly, why did people die? Because if we don't understand that lesson of what we can do differently, we're not going to change the outcome in the future. And Puerto Ricans feared a repeat of Hurricane Maria as Hurricane Dorian came charging toward their small island. But instead, Dorian slipped by, hitting the island with just 30 mile an hour winds and three to four inches of rain, causing no real damage at all. And that's why forecasters have that cone of uncertainty. A way to hedge their bets in case some system decides to make a quick turn to the left or right, north or south. I remember back in 2004, Hurricane Charlie was making a beeline towards what was supposed to be Tampa Bay. I was standing there waiting for the storm to arrive late at night, Friday the 13th of August, as a matter of fact, in St. Pete Beach in the dark with some blustery winds. And doesn't Charlie go and take a sudden turn to the right? Now, at the time, I had a house in Orlando. In fact, I had just bought it and hadn't even made my first mortgage payment. So here I am standing in St. Pete Beach, dry as a bone, and now my house is getting hit with winds of 100 miles an hour. I hadn't even taken time to bring in the grill or a potted plant because the storm wasn't supposed to go that way at all. So then I made the harrowing drive back through the storm along Interstate 4 to get back to my house. 
sun was coming up just as I got there. I remember pulling into the driveway, seeing shingles all over my lawn. And really, I just almost was in tears at that point. So as I looked at those shingles on the lawn and where they had hit the house and left some pock marks and scratch marks all along the paint, I noticed that the tiles were brown. And then I looked up and I realized the tiles on my roof were black. My roof was fine. It was the neighbor's roof who was gone. But I hadn't prepared and in the end just got pretty lucky because my house wasn't damaged by Hurricane Charlie. Plenty of others were, like the neighbor who had to get a whole new roof. And I didn't even lose power in our neighborhood. I was the envy of actually everyone I knew since Hurricane Charlie knocked out power for weeks to some folks. I had friends coming over to my house just to do the laundry and we had cookouts just so they could get some refrigeration and air conditioning. That's something else you don't think of when a hurricane rolls around. After it knocks out the power, there you are in that Florida heat, usually over 90 degrees with 100% humidity, no electricity, and a lot of sweat because there's no air conditioning. And yes, you can groan about it, but it's actually dangerous too. Just a couple years ago, it was a different hurricane that knocked out the power in Fort Lauderdale. That's where a nursing home lost power and 14 people died. The medical examiner blamed 12 of those deaths on the heat because there was no generator, no backup, no plan B. Now four people who work at that nursing home are facing criminal charges. It could be well over a year before those cases actually go to trial if they do. And the state did pass new regulations requiring nursing homes to have backup systems, either generators or plans to evacuate residents just in case the power goes out and there's no more AC. A lot of nursing homes have complied, but others are asking for a delay and many patients are still vulnerable it's something the state of Florida still grapples with. In North Carolina, some of the building restrictions that were put into place after earlier hurricanes are being eased. They may be having second thoughts now after Hurricane Dorian clipped Cape Hatteras with wind gusts around 90 miles an hour. The damage assessments will be coming out in the next day or so, but there will be lots of beach erosion and lots of cleanup to perform. Disaster planning can be complicated. It's easy when it's a family of four and there are solid incomes. They have that SUV they can load up and go to a friend's house or book a hotel 100 miles away and be just fine. They're easy. But what happens when people have extended relatives who need medical care, a baby, an infant, someone who's pregnant, someone with diabetes or another chronic condition, maybe being on oxygen, have to have electricity all the time? And what do you do about the family dog, the family cat, the family fish, maybe a turtle, maybe a ferret, maybe even a horse? That's more common than you think. And evacuating isn't always cheap. You assume a person has a car. Maybe they need public transportation. Maybe they have nowhere else to go. Maybe they're new in town. Maybe, maybe, maybe. There are just endless possibilities, and these are endless concerns faced by emergency managers at the local level every time there's a storm just like Hurricane Dorian. Look at the situation now in the Bahamas. Thousands of people, perhaps tens of thousands of people, permanently homeless. Where do they go? The United States is just a short flight away. But who pays? Do you let them in the country? Do they even have a photo ID? And do you break up a family because one member does and a child does not? The point is, disasters are not one size fits all. And while it's good to give a case of water or donate diapers or other baby supplies, that barely scratches the surface. And there are always new disasters and new distractions. You may have forgotten it was only a year ago that the Florida Panhandle was battered by Hurricane Michael, another Cat 5 storm system. The area near Mexico Beach essentially flattened and needs a total rebuild, but it's not in the headlines much anymore. And next week marks the peak of the hurricane season. There's a lot more to go. The annual storm season runs through November 30th. 
We'll continue to update this feed with stories on Hurricane Dorian. Until then, stay safe. I'm Rory O'Neill.